But it is good to be back. I can genuinely say it is good to be back in Michigan, even though that is all outside. Um, if you didn't know, um, my, my wife, Morgan, and I, and our son, Owen, we spent some time in Florida and in Disney World uh, this past week or so before heading back here. And so uh, it was my first time at Disney World as well as our son Owen's first time. And so it was really fun uh, for me to see all of that, uh, but even more fun to see uh, our son Owen's face and just uh, the wonder and excitement that he experienced uh, seeing all that. So here's just a couple slideshow pictures really quick. Uh, this, is, this is us there at Epcot. This is uh, meeting Goofy. Gonna meet Goofy. We got to meet Chewbacca. That was a highlight. And I even got a hug from Chewbacca. So uh, it was a fun, fun time in Florida. Uh, but our seven-day vacation quickly turned into an 11-day vacation because our flight that was supposed to come back uh, to Grand Rapids was canceled. So, so we got four extra days in Florida, uh, unexpectedly. So we made the most of it. We stayed in a hotel there, enjoyed some uh, extra fun in the sun, got a pool and those kinds of things. Uh, and so we were kind of stuck there. But I'm not going to complain about a few extra days in Florida in January, especially when we come back uh, to this. But sometimes we get stuck in less than ideal situations. And sometimes we get stuck in some patterns and routines. And the last couple of weeks at Cross Community, we've been in a series called Creatures of Habit. And I haven't been here for those sermons, but I was able to get online and listen to those. And Pastor Jeff has given us some great practical application for how we deal with our destructive habits of fear and anger. And this morning, we're going to look at a habit that we might not expect. We're going to look at the habit of religion. And I'm pretty excited to get into this with you this morning. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I want to encourage you uh, to open those. We're going to be in the book of James this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, you're welcome to use the one in the seat back in front of you. Uh, but as always, it will be on the screen over here as well. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, 
There you go. You guys got to make up for it because there's not as many people here this morning. I appreciate that. Um, but I'm excited about these words for us from James uh, today. Uh, the book of James is known as kind of being uh, very direct and even abrasive when it comes to its instruction for the early church. And that's because um, in James we find someone who is absolutely convinced that when you hang out with Jesus long enough, it changes you. It changes your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes. And so this morning, uh, since we're talking about habits, James has some challenging words for us to consider um, as we look at our current habits and maybe some new ones we need uh, this year. But in our passage this morning, James wants to talk about religion. He wants to talk about what real religion looks like and what real religion should cause us to do and the habits that our religion should produce. But we live in a world today that does not want to talk about religion, right? Because religion is kind of this taboo topic. It's considered divisive and controversial. And honestly, if you want to pick a fight with someone on Facebook or on Twitter or even in real life, all you really have to do is mention your beliefs about your religion, your beliefs about your politics, or maybe even venture to say how those two things may or may not be connected and you get into all kinds of good conversations Because this subject of religion and our belief about religion is often seen as something that divides us more than it unites us. And it's personal too because we all have friends and family, co-workers who believe and think very differently than we do. And so I think sometimes in an effort to keep the peace, we sometimes want to distance ourselves from the label of being religious because we know that it can push other people away. There are certain assumptions that people have about people who claim to be openly religious. People um, who are religious are seen as ritualistic or moralistic, judgmental of others, closed-minded. It's a really fun list that we come up with when we think of religious people. And it's not a very fun list. And so we don't want to be those things, right? So instead we say things like, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, or it's about a religion, or it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship, right? We, we say these things, and I've said these things, they seem a lot less stiff than saying that I'm religious. And so the world we live in tends to distance itself from this conversation because it seems like something that divides us rather than unites us. One of my favorite authors is Sky Jatani, and he wrote a book called What's Wrong with Religion. And in it, he talks about how everyone is actually religious. He says that it's true that a lot of people don't subscribe to religion in the traditional sense. This is true. But everyone has a way that they seek to control and understand the world that they live in. And that everybody has something of ultimate concern that motivates and orients their life. And so for some people, that ultimate concern is Jesus, right? But for other people, you can also seek to understand your world through power or money, pleasure, relationships, even good things like loyalty to country or to a noble cause, these kinds of things. And so in our effort to understand our life and the world that we live in, we naturally construct habits and routines that help us orient our lives towards what matters most to us, these things of ultimate concern. And sometimes these habits and these routines are healthy and helpful, but sometimes they can also be destructive. Sometimes they can even be ridiculous 
and silly. I know some of you and are like me, and you can even be religious about things like sports, right? And so I'm going to talk in generalities here, but I know that there are some of you in here who do these things as well. I've talked to people who refuse to wash jerseys that they wore when their team won the big game. I've talked to other people who insist on sitting in the same chair that they always watch games in because they think that has some positive effect on the game. I even have a friend in St. Louis who refuses to watch his team's big games because he's convinced that they will lose if he watches. He's a Cubs fan, so I just try to tell him that it's just inevitable. It doesn't have anything to do. (laughs) But regardless of whether it's something that has to do with our faith or something much less serious like sports, we do. We seek out these systems and these routines to help us try to understand our life and to kind of gain that sense of control. So I wanted to share with you this morning, uh, about a year ago, maybe a little bit more, something terrifying happened in our house. Um, our son, who is uh, almost four now, was two and a half at the time, discovered that he was now tall enough and strong enough to get out of his crib by himself. And so in the middle of the night, we hear this really loud thud, okay? Not to worry, it was just the sound of our son hitting the floor after he'd gotten out of his out of his crib. But then we hear him running down the hall to our bedroom, and he bursts into our room, and in his little Owen voice, he declares that it is time to play. Now, it is 2.30 in the morning, so it is clearly not time to play. But it was in that moment that we realized that we had reached the end of the road. Because for two and a half years, we had enjoyed and taken advantage of, in really a lot of ways, the fact that when we put Owen in his bed, he was going to stay there. We found a lot of comfort in knowing that those four sidewalls of his crib would contain him. And that when we put him there, that is where he would stay. But I think sometimes we do this same thing with God and with our religion. We find a lot of comfort in the walls of religion, knowing that our very specific beliefs give us framework with which to think about and understand the world that we live in. And that's kind of how the people of Israel were used to operating. They had the law. They had these long lists of habits that were meant to be a good thing, but it had really become something else. These laws had become a way for them to build walls around what God could and could not do. And so as the insiders, they found a lot of comfort in the confines of their religion. It gave them this illusion of control that if we keep these rules, God will bless us. But the Bible is full of warnings against religion that looks like this. Even the Old Testament is full of passages that talk about how people that are keeping all the rules, but they're actually not where God wants their hearts. Their hearts are far from God, even though they're doing all the right things. And so James understands that not all religion is helpful. Not all of our religious habits are healthy. He's seen this in his own people. Yet he seems to think that religion has its place. And that there are things that we should definitely be religious about. And so the good news this morning for those of us who might be disenfranchised with the walls that religion can sometimes build is that religion that James describes for us, it doesn't build any more walls. In fact, it does the opposite. It tears them down and it really redefines what real religion is supposed to look like. 
And the religion that James describes is really, really simple, but it's also really, really challenging for us to live. He says, religion, there it is, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I love the way that Eugene Peterson's paraphrase from the message says it. He says, real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this. Reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight and guard against the corruption of the godless world. Now I know the first half of this passage The caring for orphans and widows and reaching out to the homeless and loveless can kind of sound like a progressive social justice kind of emphasis and these kinds of things. But since we're talking about habits this morning, these are habits that our Bible is full of from cover to cover. It calls us to practice these things throughout the Scripture. Scripture is full of places where we're told to be love to the loveless, that we're to provide a home for the homeless and to welcome those that the world rejects. Deuteronomy tells us that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. You are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Isaiah 1 says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. And so James is simply reminding us that in our religion we are to make a habit of loving outsiders because we were once outsiders ourselves. And we are to care for those who have nothing because apart from Christ we also had nothing. And so in emphasizing these things religiously, we will simply be doing what God has done for us. But then James goes on, and he he warns us in the second part of this verse that as we are emphasizing these things and taking care of the broken and loveless parts of the world, we are to keep ourselves from being corrupted by it. He doesn't tell us to leave the world that we live in or to remove ourselves from it but that as we live in a world and a culture that lives differently than we do, we're to guard ourselves from becoming like it. James absolutely wants us to know that the point of our religion is to set us apart so that we can go to the most broken, loveless parts of the world and bring grace and love to the people who need it most. We spent most of our time in verse 27 this morning. I got a little bit carried away with verse 27. Uh, but earlier in our passage, James talks about how we are to use our words. He opens up by saying that we are to be quick to listen. or to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. We talked about anger a little bit last week. James kind of speaks in fragments. Sometimes he'll talk about one thing over here and then he'll come over here and talk about something that seems completely different. But when I read this passage, I didn't, I didn't feel like this part here really had anything to do with what we're talking about at the end of our passage. They kind of seem like separate ideas. But the more I read this passage this week, the more I became convinced that James is telling us that our words and how we use them is directly related to the health of our religion. In verse 26, James says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. 
I think when we hear that we're supposed to control our tongue, I think we think of four-letter words or we think of gossip, and there's a lot of truth to those kinds of things. But in this passage, James is talking about what real religion looks like. So James is not saying that there, that religion that comes from following Jesus will cause you to watch your mouth and change your vocabulary. He's saying that real religion is slow to speak. It doesn't just talk about what's wrong in the world. It does something about it. It doesn't just use words to defend its own position, but it quickly uses words to build a bridge to people who believe differently than we do. I wanted to share with you, uh, one of my favorite books is called Unchristian by David Kinnaman. And it's a book that takes a look at what secular culture thinks and believes about Christians and the church. And the goal of the book is that the church would have honest conversations about what we need to be doing differently to change the perceptions that outsiders have about the church and Christianity. It's, it's a really, really good book. If you'd like to pick that up, it's an awesome, awesome read. But one thing that keeps coming up throughout this book is that Christians have become more known more for the things that we speak against than the things that we are supposed to be for. And so if we're being honest, we as Christians have some pretty strong opinions about our religion. And so we often use our words to defend our religion. And so sometimes we're not always quick to listen. Sometimes we're not slow to speak. And sometimes we even speak out of frustration and anger when people disagree with our perspective. James isn't the only New Testament writer who challenges us to consider how we use our words either. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is talking to those uh, who speak with a lot of arrogance and claim to have all the answers. And at the end of that passage, he says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And we like our Greek words here at Cross Community, right? And so the Greek word for power there is dunamis. You guys want to say dunamis this morning? Say dunamis. There you go. Uh, Dunamis is actually where we get our word for dynamite. And the kingdom of God is not something that we merely talk about and have loud opinions about, but it's something that is supposed to be explosive and powerful. And so Paul shares in James' enthusiasm when he says that the religion that God desires from us is not just empty talk, but it's something that causes us to live and to do things differently. And so the good news this morning is that we don't follow a God who desires our religious routines and our legalistic rule following. That's really, really good news for us. In fact, Jesus is critical of the religious leaders who make religion a heavy burden for people. And so for some of us, that's especially good news because not all religion that we've experienced has been healthy. Not all religion has been helpful for us. And so if that has been your experience, hear these words from James this morning that tell us that God has so much more for us than the legalistic routine of religion. Instead, he's inviting us to participate in a kingdom that is not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of action and power. He's inviting us to religiously love the things that Jesus would love. 
And that's some really, really good news for us and for our world. But it's also a really big challenge for us because we are creatures of habit. And sometimes we do get stuck in our religious routines. And even without realizing it, we can allow our religion to build walls between us and the people that we are called to love. So this morning I've asked our ushers if they would uh, come this morning. They have uh, some half sheets of paper for us today. Um, one of my favorite things about this series so far is the practical application that Pastor Jeff has given us uh, to think about our habits. And so this morning we have those again. Um, I will admit that these are some really challenging questions. They're really challenging questions for me to answer. Uh, but I think that they are questions that James would be really proud of us for asking ourselves as we consider what habits we need to maybe leave behind and some new habits that we may want to take on this year as we consider where the Lord is leading us. All right, so we're going to go through these habits together really quick. Here we go. We've got, uh, what new habit could help me experience Jesus in a new way? Because sometimes we do get stuck in our religious routines, and sometimes we need something new to wake us up and make sure we are continuing to grow towards Christ. So maybe for you that is a new habit of prayer. Maybe that's replacing some time uh, that we spend scrolling Facebook or Twitter um, with some reading of scripture or some books that can lead us towards Christ, those kinds of things. I don't know how many times I find myself scrolling, not really knowing what I'm looking for, right? So maybe we can replace some of those things. Maybe for your, you, your life is just so full that the thing that you could use more than anything else is just to find ways to incorporate some rest some new habits of rest into your life that would help you find Jesus in that as well. Um, for me, I'm going to try to do something this year that I've done in the past, um, but I'm really bad at. I'm going to try to write down the things that I feel like God is teaching me. Uh, this is really helpful for me. I know that I remember things a lot better when I write them down, and so this would be great for me. Um, it's not only helpful in the moment, but it's also really powerful to look back months and even years later and realize how God has been faithful. When we moved up here this summer and I was packing, I found some journals from 2012. And it was really cool uh, when I must have had better spiritual disciplines at that time uh, to look back and realize how God had been faithful and had answered prayers. He had uh, really helped me wrestle with some doubts at that time and those kinds of things. So um, it's something I would like to incorporate into my life again. But what is a new habit that could help you experience Jesus in a new way this year? The second question, who are the loveless and the lonely people in my world? We talked about this morning how our whole Bible from cover to cover tells us that our religion should cause us to reach out and to love people who don't know exactly where they belong. And we all have people in our lives that we know that are often overlooked and forgotten by society. But James tells us that if the church is practicing true religion, if we're getting this right, we should be seeking these people out and loving them and letting them know that the world may overlook them, but that God doesn't and that we won't. And it's convenient that we here at Cross Community also seem to believe that everyone belongs here. And so if that is true, I think that we can incorporate this question this year ourselves. The last question might be the toughest one, and that is, who is someone in my life that I know believes differently than me? Again, we all know people who 
have very different beliefs than us, whether that's religiously, politically, or maybe they even have different views on Christianity than we do. And sometimes we naturally hang out with the people who we know that we agree with. And so this year, maybe we find a new habit of intentionally seeking out the people who believe differently than we do because we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So who is someone who, even though I know they believe very differently than me, that I can find, that I can intentionally build a bridge to, that I can listen to and seek to understand, even though I may disagree? Because we know that the love and grace of God comes to us long before we believe all the right things, right? These are our questions. You can take them. You can think on them. Uh, pray about them. Pray about the people who come to mind. And then use it as a grocery list piece of paper later. That's fine. But for now, fill it out. Pray on those names. And then ask the Holy Spirit to help us become not just individuals, but a church who knows what real religion looks like. Because this morning I'm thankful for these words from James that remind us that real religion is not about a religious routine. It's not about being rigorous. It's not about getting it right all the time. And it's certainly not about building walls around what God can and cannot do. It's about loving the things that Jesus loves and being set apart so that we can carry the love and grace of Jesus to the people who need it most. Because our religion calls us to humbly and faithfully follow Jesus into the places that he would go, into the conversations that he would have, and in those conversations with people who, many of which probably are filled with people who disagree with us, who believe differently than we do, that we would be quick to listen, that we would be slow to speak, and that we would be ready to share the love of Christ that was so generously given to us. And so this morning, in our pursuit of Jesus, let's make it our habit this year to be religious about loving others and living differently than this broken world around us so that we can carry the love of Jesus to our world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have invited us to a life that is about more, so much more than religious routine. And I pray that as we walk with you, that you would fill us with your compassion, that we would be compelled to love the world as you have loved us, Father. May we be quick to serve. May we be slow to speak. And when we do speak, may our words be filled with grace and humility as we remember that your kingdom and the religion that you desire is not a matter of talk, but of power through your Holy Spirit. We love you today. We thank you for inviting us to be a part of your kingdom. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning for our final blessing? And now may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Pray that you would go in his peace. We'll see you next Sunday. May you be blessed.